Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Wonderfully blessed in Jesus. Praising the Lord. Amen, amen. Also with us, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today? I am extremely blessed in the Lord. Well, praise God, as you guys are obviously, if you listen to yesterday's episode and are listening today, you hear Pastor Joe back with us today. So this is really, really nice, and we're talking about a important subject once again. And uh, these are, we were kind of been going through a couple of arguments, quite a few arguments, seven in total, I think more eight, I guess, now when we finish hopefully today, uh, eight different arguments that you might see. And I know that a lot of people, because I see you guys sharing our stuff online, and we want to thank you guys for that. I see our new Patreons. We added like another six or seven this last month of Patreon. So praise God for all you guys who've jumped on board. I think we got two today, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So praise God. Just so blessed by you guys. And uh, hopefully, you know, you guys get some of the, if you're on Patreon, you get some of the updates uh, a little earlier than everybody else. So uh, just been really, really blessed by all of you and seeing the sharing on there. And I do see online you guys debating on forums that were all on at the same time. And a lot of this stuff is stuff that Joe and I talk about. Hey, I see people, they're on Good Fight and they're, they're, they're posting maybe a message or somebody has a question about the millennium and who populates it and you see it online on some forum. Oh, and I'm like, oh, I wonder whose video is that? I'm like, oh, that's our video. That's awesome, right? <laughs> or, you know, when it comes to a myriad of different arguments or people that are really into like the Beatles or something and we got those clips online for you guys and I see it all the time. And one of the reasons that we do this show is so that you will hopefully be equipped to be able to answer those things immediately. You know, not always just share uh, a feed, which is great to do, but also have that argumentation in your heart. So then when you have that coworker or that person at your church that maybe is falling for some of these doctrines and maybe they fell for some of these arguments, because remember the Bible does say in Proverbs chapter 18 that the first the plead his case does seem right until someone comes up and examines him. And that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to show you that first case and say they, they've presented this case. Now let's go back and look at it and see, can it handle some truth being thrown its way? And I think this one today specifically that we're going to be dealing with, it let's does do it not... Too. Let's do it with that eternal life question you had first, brother. You want to do that, that first? Get, you mentioned eight. That way we get eight in because I think the last show we dealt with six. We did deal with six, so, and yeah. I said we got eight if we do get in total. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think the first so one, can, that one in there. can somewhat be dealt with um, probably more concisely. It's pretty simple because it is such a, just a logical it argument. It seems like such a good argument until you evaluate it. Like you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scripture's always right. So it's nice to have that on your side when you're making these arguments, right? So, uh, <laughs> well, <amen>. <laughs> <laughs> so with this one, I guess the first question that we have to ask is if some, if it is eternal life that we get, how can you lose it if it is eternal? Yeah. And actually it's a great question and you can yeah. see why somebody could you know, hear that and say, oh, yeah, that's a great argument. And we looked at a lot of, you know, what could seem, some of them at least, on their face uh, last show. And I encourage people, if you didn't get last show, go check it out because we yeah. go through like six questions and we go pretty rapid and go through a ton of scripture, which is what we're about. And I think 
that's one of the main reasons and hopefully the main reason so many people uh, listen to our show because it's just jam-packed with scripture and that's what changes us not people just talking about their opinions but the word of god you know theology and who the lord is and what he does so it's a it's a it's a great question actually because it's posed usually well how you know sometimes i want saved always say person will say hey so do you have eternal life you have eternal life you're trusting jesus you got eternal life yeah well how long is that life and then the person will say uh it's eternal and that means it's forever right well it's forever how could you lose it because if you could lose it then it wouldn't be forever so it sounds like a pretty powerful argument until you realize that the life that we have is Christ's life and it's in relationship to our faith in him uh, before we knew him we did not have eternal life when we come to him we have life because we have life in him because Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me another place that's John 14 6 in John chapter 11 I think it's verse 25 you know he said I am the resurrection and the life you know and then it's interesting because in first john and in the gospel of john as well you have this emphasis that there's this need to abide in him to continue to enjoy eternal life so uh christ was eternal life before we had him us having him doesn't make him eternal life he is eternal life so he's already eternal life when you come to him you share in that eternal life but if you reject him and turn away from him which the scriptures are very clear you can do there's warning after warning after warning after warning of uh, not to turn away from him to genuine believers god doesn't just bluff doesn't bluff and then of course there's people mentioned even by name like demas having loved this present world forsook him who paul mentioned a couple of different two or three different letters you know as this faithful servant but who for has you know loved the world more love than the present Lord. world yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh and of course you have in hebrews 6 people who fell away after they had received the holy spirit you know and taste the heavenly gift and so forth second peter those after knowing jesus epinosis it's a greek word in second peter 2 20 uh, they turn away from him so you have uh, many scriptures that warn of those who did fall away. And it's interesting because the life is in the Son. So in 1 John, where he mentions that Christ is eternal life, like bookmarks. But getting into the 1 John, the first three verses, talks about Christ is the eternal life. At the end of 1 John, the last couple verses, he's the eternal life. But in between there, we're told to abide in him so we can continue to share his life. And it reminds me a lot of John 15, where Jesus uses the imagery of the vine that gives life to the branches. And he warns that we need to abide in the vine to continue to share in his life. And if we reject him or we become cold-hearted or we fall away, we cease to abide in him. In John 15, verse 6, Jesus says, If any man does not remain in me, the Greek words meno means to stay, to abide, to remain. Then a number of word studies on that. And first John loves that too. John loves it in his first epistle. Quoting Jesus' usage of that word, I should say, or, or using it, being influenced by that. So in, 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 he says, If a man does not abide in him, remain in him, and I think it's important that we understand the context there. Jesus is not talking to non-believers. He says to his apostles, and by the way, Judas had already left to commit, he committed apostasy, he already left to, this is at the Last Supper, and Judas leaves before this. It's only 11 elect apostles. <laughs> it's very clear. And he says, you're clean through the word that is spoken to you. So they're clean, you know. And then he goes on to say that they're abiding him so they can bear much fruit. But if they don't abide in him, he says, if man doesn't remain, abide, stay in me, uh, he'll wither. You know, you'll die because you'll lose a life and you'll be cut off and thrown in the fire and be burned. Now, come on, brothers and sisters. That's like really, 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 really <laughs> clear warning to genuine believers. Now, there's ways people try to get out of that, by the way. Chuck Swindoll, I bought his, because uh, uh, Robert Shank, who wrote the book Life in the Sun, which, by the way, is an amazing book. If you haven't, on this subject, you're looking for a really good book, that's 
it's the best, the I think. Three, I, if not the best ever. Yeah, I think it's the and best. And he's, he's a Baptist preacher who changed his view on once saved, always saved. Very, I've, you know, had some fellowship with him off and on before he died, over the phone, I should say, but it was blessed. And he said, did you see what Chuck Swindoll wrote? <laughs> and that was, I think, prior to Chuck Swindoll becoming president of Dallas Theological Seminary for a number of years. And I said, no. He goes, and I went and got a bookstore after that in his commentary on John 15. He says, the branches are the Christians. He's right. You know, Jesus is the vine, the branches are the Christians. I'm like, yeah, that's good so far. He goes, but the branches aren't thrown in the fire. When Jesus is very clear, the branches are lopped off and thrown in the fire. He goes, the branches aren't really thrown in the fire. It's, it's the works that are done in the flesh. That is not what Jesus is teaching. John, Jesus isn't doing what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus is talking about the branches. It comes before 1 Corinthians. He's talking about you're the branches. You'll be cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned. And, and by the way, if you look at 1 John chapter, 2 John, uh, it's just one chapter, verses 9 through 11. It says, who that does not abide in Christ's teaching does not have God. Amen. It doesn't mean you just you lose your, your rewards. It says you do not have God. You have to abide in Christ's it's teaching. It's just said so many different ways to make it so abundantly oh, yeah. clear. It's yeah, incredible. and then in 1 John yeah. 5, let me go to that one. 1 John chapter 5, I think it's important because uh, in 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to go from memory, I think, here. In 1 John chapter 5, it talks about, you know, oh, you know what? I'm going to save that for the next question because it actually okay, fits perfect. the next question better. But look at it this way. You think you have a diamond. It's an eternal diamond, you know? It, it, let's say there's such thing as an eternal diamond and you receive it as a gift. If you throw that thing away, it doesn't, you cease to have e the eternal diamond, but it doesn't cease to be eternal. If you throw Jesus away, reject him, he's still eternal. He's still eternal life. You just cease to participate in it. Like right now, I'm connected to a mic. And it's, if this was like an eternal mic, had eternal power, you know, I'd have this eternal connection until I walk away. Doesn't mean it doesn't still have that eternal power if it had it, which it doesn't. Uh, unless Tony found some kind of technology that's, that'd be unchristian, <laughs> though, bro. Straight from the Lord, Everything's going to burn, right? Second <laughs> <laughs> Peter 3. So, uh, but you've seen, I wouldn't participate anymore, but it wouldn't yeah. it cease to exist. Yeah, amen. I think that's, that, that's extensive uh, in terms of an answer for that question, but I would say, as we get to this this last one, I'd say the if you add the last question that you answered on the previous show concerning past, present, and future sins with the, how is eternal life eternal if you can lose it? Yeah. Not that we believe you can lose it. It's more or less forfeited. you forfeit it yeah. or fall away. These are yeah. scriptural terminology. Unfortunate language, but you can commit a posting forfeit. Like. Yeah, amen. And so... Those those two questions that have just been answered between the two episodes, yeah. I think those are one of the probably number. If there's, I guess it's just one A, B, and C because this one as well, I think you could say probably is right up there, which is the unborn question, right? If you are born again, then how is it possible for you to be unborn? Yeah, and what's what what kind of a little bit troubling about once saved always saved arguments is often they appeal to some kind of allegory you know yeah some kind of Amen. logic a lot of calvinists will do that too instead of the scripture itself you know calvinists will appeal to, to scripture but i'm just saying often the arguments come out that way and i, I like to use the unambiguous word of god you know but <laughs> but we have to answer the the, the so-called you know logical questions how yeah. can a born again believer become unborn which really is intended to paint a just ridiculous picture you know like well of course you can't be unborn yeah you know and actually uh it's, it might seem like, you know, an impossibility to get around that question. It's actually very, very easy to deal with because, yeah, it's true. Uh, and by the way, here's a few quotes when we talked about what questions we deal with that you know, I got from once saved, always saved people. Show me when a regenerate, born-again believer can become unborn. Another one, 
How can someone be born again and become unborn? Somebody, and this was a first comment in a book that I have at home, uh, but I went to Amazon because I had time to go through my library, which is pretty extensive, and find this. So I thought, you know what? I've just looked at the very first comment on Charles Stanley's book, Eternal Security. And Charles Stanley teaches in chapter 10 of that book that you can turn against Christ and reject him as a false Messiah. You have nothing to fear, you know? Ugh. And he says you can become an unbeliever and all these things. And it's just reprehensible license that he's teaching. I'm sorry, that's serious false teaching. Amen. But uh, the first comment... In the, you know, he's got these five-star comments. The first five-star comment says, The subject of eternal security refers to a person being born again as a child of God. A person cannot be unborn physically, and he cannot be unborn spiritually either. You're right. You cannot be unborn physically, but you can die physically. You can die spiritually. A son can die. A son can reject his father. In fact, it's interesting. When Jews committed apostasy, sometimes they would have funerals for him as spiritually dead. And wow. I think that's interesting. By the way, I might say just something for a moment. I know we got a lot to go through. Uh, I don't know how much time we have. But I, I, the early church fathers were so clear on this subject. The early Christians for the first yeah, four centuries of church history taught that you had to abide in the faith. In fact, a leading Calvinistic debater on this subject had admitted in his debate, uh, or I should say, in the debate that I heard, uh, Calvinist, a leading a Calvinist professor is quoted, where he says, yeah, it wasn't until you get to Calvin, you know, that you get the whole once saved, always saved, or perseverance of saints. That's 1,500 years after church history. I started after the church started, you know. And some would say, well, Augustine. Well, yeah, Augustine was a heretic in a lot of ways. And Augustine, by the way, also taught that you could fall away and lose your salvation. He just taught that you weren't elect. Elect were given the gift of perseverance. They would persevere. But he said, yeah, those warnings are to those who are truly regenerated will fall away and forfeit their salvation. So you really don't have it until John Calvin don't have it in the church creeds prior to that that I've seen anywhere. So this is a Johnny-come-lately, ear-tickling, I'm sorry, message that says you can reject Jesus, you can turn against him, you can be thinking he's a false messiah, as Charles Stanley says. That's reprehensible teaching. But anyway, the church father, and I'm just going to quote two of my favorites, and I think these are your two favorites too, Chad and perhaps Tony, and the early church, and the first, I should say, the second century apostles. One was I mean, they were after the second century apostles, Irenaeus and yeah. Justin Martyr. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, and he fought radically. Did, and my, my son's I mean, name is Justice Irenaeus. Yeah, so, so it's got to be a favorite. <laughs> yeah, and then sorry, Justin Martyr. So, yeah. You know, so. <laughs> Justin Martyr. I'm going to quote from both these guys. And these aren't authoritative, but it shows you what the early church believed. And if you're wondering, yeah. it's like, because, well, so many people that are Reformed and they believe this. Man, you are on early church ground. These guys are on the ground that followed Augustine to a degree Amen. and then went beyond him even uh, in some areas. Uh, Irenaeus says, and he was between 120 and 200, his lifespan. Those who do not obey him, he says in this book 4, paragraph 41, verse 3, those who do not obey him have ceased to be his sons. Okay? So he didn't believe once you're a son, you're always a son, you know, that you couldn't be unborn. Well, he said, he'd probably say, yeah, you can't be unborn, but you can cease to be a son. He wrote that clearly. Justin Martyr, right? In his apologies, he said, quote, and I hold further that such as have confessed and known this man to be Christ, confessed and known him to be Christ, relationship with Jesus, yet who have gone back from uh, from some cause to the legal dispensation and have denied that this man is Christ and have not repented before death, shall by no means be saved. That's clear as it gets. And there's multiple quotes as you guys have seen oh, yeah. from these guys. And by the way, once a son, always a son, can't you can't, you know, once you're a child of God, you can't be unborn. Uh, well, guess what? That would mean the angels that fell are still sons of God. Oh, yeah, it's called that. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, Second Peter 
2.4, for God did not spare angels, because they're called, by the way, sons of God. And in Job. And Job chapter 3, yeah. verse 7, amen. The yeah. sons of God shouted for joy. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them down to hell and committed them to pits of darkness, held for judgment. Okay? You also have that same, you have that in Jude, verses 6 and 7, about those angels who were sons of God. By the way, Adam was a son of God. And we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, says that uh, Adam, the genealogy, uh, says so-and-so was the son of Enosh, and son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam wasn't once a son, always a son. He was separated from God, and he needed to be born again, just like we need to be born again through faith and regenerated again. Uh, sin separates from us from God. So we have angels who are sons of God, not sons of God now. Many of them fell away. Uh, Adam is a clear example of one who was a son of God, ceased to be a son of God. By the way, this argument proves too much. If once a son is always a son, you can't cease to be a son because once you're born again, you can't be unborn, supposedly. By the way, we're not arguing that you can be unborn, but we're arguing that you can spiritually die. If that was true, if once a son was always a true, true, then we could never be saved. Because before we were saved, we were sons of the devil. Jesus said, you are your father of the devil to the Pharisees, right? And all of us were following the prince of the power of the air, the, the, and we were children of disobedience. And then it talks about how we were born again. We were, we were made alive, amen. Um, we were born again. So the scriptures, if once a son, always a son is true, then we'd still be sons of Satan. We couldn't be saved. But it's really clear you can become a child of the devil as a believer, and a child of the devil can turn to Christ and become a child of God. Uh, and Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, you might say, well, maybe they still can be called sons of God in some way. Well, where do they go when you commit apostasy? In Matthew 8, 11 and 12, Paul, Jesus said, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, can have life, like Jesus in the vine, and be cut off, verse 6. And we already addressed that in, earlier in this, this uh, message. By the way, you can die. I said, yeah, you can't be unborn as a son, but you can die spiritually. In Romans chapter 6, Paul warns genuine believers who've been born again that they have the free will to choose to be let Christ be their master or let sin be their master. And he says, do you not know that, and this is verse 16, do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either for, of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Then in verses that follow, 21 through 23, Paul says, For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your body as, as uh, parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Therefore, he says, what benefit were you, uh, uh, were you then deriving from the things that you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He clearly lets them know they need to choose. But he's saying, hey, right now you're saved, but don't go back and present the members of your body to sin because that will lead to death. And then in verse is 12 and 13, a little bit later, Paul says this. He says it to the brethren. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting the death of Jesus in the body, you will live. Who's he talking to? What kind of life is he talking about? What kind of sonship? Verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. He's talking about spiritual sonship, being sons of God by faith, that we can go back into the flesh and 
die spiritually. And by the way, he makes that really clear in Romans 11, a little bit later in Romans, where he talks about uh, if we don't continue the faith, we can be cut off from the salvation tree. So over and over and over again, we see this in Jude 1.12. It talks about these t- false teachers uh, who are twice dead, pulled up by the roots in verse 12. And that's one that I'll admit is not necessarily because we don't have a lot of commentary on what he's saying specifically there. But I think it's very interesting he's talking about being twice dead. Because Jude and Peter are like twin epistles in some ways. Sad and I were just talking about that. We were talking about a totally different subject. And because <laughs> Peter talks about you know what the apostles and prophets have said and so forth. And then Jude says, he comments on it as though he talks about the apostles and prophets, about people who walk after their flesh. And Peter talks about mockers walking after their flesh. There's a lot of similarities. And Jude was going to write about a common salvation. He changed his, he said, then he realized he wanted to tell us to earnestly contend for the faith, which is what Peter was doing. But Peter talks about those who have left or forsaken the right way, false teachers in chapter 2. Very clearly, they've forsaken the right way and went after the way of Balaam. So Peter could be talking about the same apostates, but perhaps not, because when I look at the text, the text in verse 4, it talks about they have crept in unaware. Now, some commentators do believe, hey, they started good, but they've come in, and now people are unaware they are because they started good. We don't know for sure, but he does say they are twice dead. And uh, that would mean... Well, they weren't dead physically, so it'd have to mean at least yeah. spiritually, you know. So anyway, uh, in Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight, this is like really clear. <laughs> For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God. He's laboring to emphasize their salvation, uh, and then have fallen away, parapasantas, to restore them again to repentance. Again, to repentance means a second time. Shows that they had repented and then they'd fallen away. Since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain and often falls on it and produces vegetation useful for those whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. So those who continue, and by the way, if you're saying, man, I hope that's not me. Did I go too far? This is, we've broken down the the Greek here. In the Greek, he's actually talking about those who continue to cru- crucify Christ afresh. And the Greek, and I don't have time to get into specific words, but go back to another one when we deal with Hebrews. Is uh, is, is there a remedy for apostasy? Can't remember exactly what we called it. But in the last year, I think we've dealt with this question twice on air. And we show that the Greek can be translated, should be translated, since they crucify yeah. Christ afresh, meaning they're in that state of present rebellion. And while they're in that state of rebellion, they can't be renewed to repentance. If you are not crucified and fresh and you're trusting him, it doesn't apply to you. You don't have to be concerned at all. If you want Jesus, you love Jesus, you want to trust in him, praise God, it does not apply to you. It applies only to those who are crucified and fresh yeah. continually. Uh, by the way, Hebrews 12, 7 through 9, he talks about sonship again. He doesn't talk about being unborn, but he does talk about spiritually dying. Again, like some of the other passages we've been looking at. It is for discipline that you endure. So obviously he's talking to believers because he says God deals with you as sons. That's right after he just said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This proves you're a child of God, right? Because he spanks his children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Then in verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us that we might be, we respect them, right? And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live. So we're talking about spiritual sonship here, not physical. And be subject to his, his, his lordship in our lives and live. Then he goes on to warn. In other words, if you reject his discipline, you will not live. He says, pick up the hands that, that, that lay low and the, the, you know, straight out, the, the, the limbs are out of joint. Because the context there is running the race of salvation. He's saying, finish the race. He goes, be subject to the Father and live. It's not about sonship. And then he warns in 12... Chapter 12, a few verses later, verses 14 through 12. Pursue peace 
with all people and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's a great deception in the church right now. People feel they can have reject the Lord's holiness and just do their own thing and they're still going to see the Lord. He says, no, wrong. You will not see the Lord. You need to make sure that you're pursuing Jesus. And verse 15 says, and that's, by the way, that's a fruit of faith. It's not meritorious. Verse 15, see, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up that causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that there be no sexual immoral or godless person like Esau, with whom, he goes on to say, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So you can sell your birthright as a son, you know, which Esau did, and fail to enter the kingdom of God. And I think this one is really heavy, and this kind of ties into the question of eternal life quite a bit. In 1 John 5, 12 and 13, he says, Whoever has a son has a life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have a life. <laughs> so he's the life whether you have him or not. And eternal, it doesn't cease to be eternal life whether you have Jesus or not. You can reject him. He's still eternal life. You just don't participate in him. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you see any brother commit a sin which does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give, him, give them life. Remember the prodigal son? He was dead spiritually. But guess what? It wasn't a the sin of this, this perpetual rebellion, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, absolute rejection. Uh, he came back and he was given life. My son was dead. My, he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, dead. but now he's alive. alive. Don't tell me that if you're a son, you can never die. I mean, John Luke 15, my son was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, but he's not. Now he's, he's dead. And now, so the Bible clearly teaches, yeah, you can't be unborn, but you can die spiritually. And here he warns, uh, he goes on to say, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say, I'm not saying that you should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. There's a sin that does not lead to death. So there is rebellion against the Lord where people fall away like the prodigal son, but they, they, they turn back and they can be forgiven. But there is a place, and I believe it's the, because only the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is what you couldn't return from. And by the way, I believe that particular sin is in, in Matthew chapter 12, now we're going to get off a little bit, but I've got, I've got a few minutes, but I'm going to get this in real quick. In chapter 12 of the book of Matthew, yes. it's real clear. I mean, they were saying that he was possessed by the devil and calling the Holy Spirit the devil. But you know, even after they did that, he says, make the tree, tree good or good, evil. Yeah. Give them opportunity to return. Some people's hearts get so hardened, they harden their hearts so much against the Lord, they'll never turn back. And by the way, if you want Jesus, you could not have gone that place because where is that place? A refusal to come back to Jesus. Your heart gets so hard. And that's why he doesn't say not to pray for this person. He says, I don't say that you should because some people are so hard and they don't want anything to do with Jesus and we might use our prayers better in other ways. But I've still prayed for people that I thought were long gone. Uh, the Bible warns in Psalm chapter 69, verse 28, that you can be blotted out of the book of life. May they be wiped out of the book of life. May they not be recorded with the righteous. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says to the one who overcomes, he'll be clothed the same, uh, in the same way in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. By the way, the context there, by the way, the first John, the sinning unto death, is contrasted with life that's in the Son. I just should have made that point. But we're talking about eternal life. And here we're talking about eternal life again. And we're talking about a church at Sardis who was soiled their garments. And he says, you know, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Strength that which is ready to die. He's talking about sonship, spiritual life. So the overcoming thing is right here is a warning that only the overcomers get are not erased from the book of life. Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murders on and on will, not, uh, will go to the lake of fire. Who are the cowardly? That's an old Greek word that has to do with renouncing your faith, okay? And that's before the unbeliever because he's first on the list of the damned. Revelation 21.8 are apostates who 
who, who sell out. You know, Revelation 2, 9 and 11, do not fear those things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison, church of Smyrna, suffering church, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So you get the crown of life if you persevere in your faith or you go and you get the second death. Yeah, you can't be unborn, but guess what? Children of God can die. And in at the very end of Revelation, since we've surveyed a lot of the New Testament, 22:19, it talks about the things that are stored up for you in heaven can be taken away if you take away that which, uh, if you take away from the book of Revelation. And 1 Corinthians 6, I'll end with. It, yeah, you know what? You can't be unborn, but you can be disinherited. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. You do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that the wrongdoers or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, you can't be unborn, but you can be disinherited, and you can die spiritually. Keep the faith, brothers and sisters. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.